Awesome. Let's look at Romans 8. Hopefully you brought your Bible. Uh, we'll look at a, a few quick points here uh, from maybe the first third of chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a, a great chapter. Uh, as you can see here, one of the main themes of this chapter is that of the Spirit. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 7. The main theme of chapter 7 was kind of the law. Uh, chapter 8 is really it's a phenomenal passage uh, of Scripture. It's pretty jam-packed, so we'll probably look at it over three weeks. All right, Romans 7, we did kind of a one uh, breath. Maybe that was too much, uh, but Ro Romans 8 will break into three. A little bit more easy to digest. Amen? Let's read here, though, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, if you haven't been with us the last uh, six months, that's a summary of chapters one uh, through eight. All right. Uh, and so that's, that's a great summary. Uh, and then Paul kind of continues on, and here's what we'll focus more on. He says, verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot Please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even your body, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of a spirit who lives in you. All right. Great passage here, very dense. So we'll have a prayer. We'll look at a few, uh, a few points on it. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for, you know, obviously those first four verses that, that recap to us, you know, everything we have really studied the, the last six months here, God. And we do thank you. We thank you for, for, for that. For all of us who, who have been baptized into your son, that we are free from condemnation. That we are free from, from the realm, the control uh, of sin in, in our flesh. And, and God, we pray you help us, God. Help us to, to listen to, to the words of Paul here as, as he tries to guide us and help us uh, to learn to live in, in accordance uh, with the spirit which you have given to us, God. I pray you help us, God. We help, you know, obviously this is, is incredibly challenging, Father, uh, day in and day out, God. And we pray you help us, God. We pray you, that we can be a people uh, that leave here today uh, way more attentive to what's going on inside our hearts and our minds. Uh, we ask you to be with us now, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And as you can see there, you know, obviously, and even heard probably, uh, the, the, the main theme is that of the Spirit, right? 21 times across the chapter, 19 of those times referring to the Holy Spirit, uh, two referring to kind of the Spirit, the soul of man. And, and Spirit's an interesting word in, 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 in the Greek. Uh, the word that's used there, uh, pneuma, it just means wind, air, breath, right? Uh, you know, but it's that idea of, of, uh, of life that's there. 
You know, it's, a, it's one of those words that kind of runs throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, in the, in the beginning as God's creating, uh, you know, the, 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 it said that the Spirit is hovering uh, over the waters. Right? God eventually takes, you know, uh, dirt uh, and he breathes life into it. You know, Jesus post-glorification uh, uh, after he's been crucified and resurrected uh, goes to the, to the apostles who are, who are still, you know, kind of gripped by fear. Uh, and it says he, he breathes the Holy Spirit onto them, right? And it's this idea of life. And we all understand the idea that the breath equals life, you know. But it's, it's soul life. It's life beyond this life, really, right? It, it transcends even death, as this chapter does talk about. And we'll cover even more at the end of this chapter as it talks about, look, the reality is nothing can separate us from the life of God. Not, the Spirit dwells within us, nothing. We don't need to be afraid of anything, any suffering, any hardships, and even ultimately death, because nothing can separate us from God if that spirit is dwelling within us. You know, and that is phenomenally good news, you know, that, that, that's here in these first four verses. Uh, you know, but, but it is kind of interesting because often paired with good news is, is uh, more challenging news, you know. And it is that idea of, the, of there's no condemnation, that if you have been born again, uh, you are no longer under the law, therefore you are no longer subject to death. But as we saw for sure in chapter 7, uh, and for sure in this chapter, and then for sure uh, Monday through Sunday every single week, uh, just because we're, there's no condemnation, there's, it doesn't mean there's an absence of conflict, yeah. right? Uh, and, and sometimes this is, uh, you know, a lot of, sometimes people can misunderstand this. They can think, oh, well, if I get baptized, then I'll have no more struggle with sin, right? And that obviously, that thought is vanquished 30 seconds after, right? <laughs> Uh, because you come up out of the waters and everyone's singing for you and you get filled with pride and you sin, you know. And, and, but it is this idea, you know, and I think one of the best analogies I've heard over the years is that of a war, right? Uh, you know, that, that if, a, if a nation battles against another nation, uh, you know, the, the war can be won quite swiftly, right? Especially nowadays with, with technology, uh, war can be won very quickly, but it doesn't mean the battle is over. The battle still wages. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here. Look, there's, there's no condemnation. The, 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 the final verdict is decided. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But there is an enormous amount of conflict that goes on within each one of us day in and day out. Right? As a defeated enemy is oftentimes more dangerous uh, than one that hasn't yet been defeated. Because right? it's driven underground into the shadows uh, and rears its ugly head in, in various ways, right? Uh, and that's what Paul is talking about here, this idea that there is a tremendous amount of conflict. And, and the conflict that he, again, almost in every single sentence in, this, in, this, in the verses we read here is between that of the flesh and the spirit. And depending on which Bible translation you're reading, it's either translated flesh, uh, some translations will translate it sinful nature. Uh, it's this idea that there is part of us uh, that, that is corrupted, right? And that if you've been... been uh, buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him to a new life, uh, that, that sinful nature has been mortally or fatally wounded. It's not going to recover. It cannot gain full control over you uh, uh, again uh, because that power has been removed because you're no longer under the, under the law, right? Which is chapter 6 and 7 of, of Romans, right? But, but that, that sinful nature can still and still does uh, produce tremendous conflict within us. And, and if you've been born again, then you have the spirit. And so there, there are two sides at, at battle within you, uh, often depicted in olden days. And most, most kids, you know, nowadays would never have known about cartoons in the newspaper, right? But there's the old cartoon with a little angel on one shoulder, a little devil on the other side. It's an apt illustration right, of the battle that takes place within us, within our minds. 
And I think that's one of the t- tremendous challenges when you begin to think about the, this, this conflict that Paul is painting uh, a picture of here in 8, but for sure at the end of 7. You remember the end of 7 when he talks about what I, what I want to do, I don't do, what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And, you know, Paul is, you know, comes across almost like he's losing his mind, right, as, as this, this battle wages within him, right? But it's, it's all internal. It's all internal. And because so much of the battle takes place internal, internally, only you can fight it. Now make no mistake, this chapter screams out that you are not alone in that fight. That God has given you his spirit precisely to aid you uh, and enable you and empower you to win that fight. But it's not necessarily a fight that you can, help, you know, that you can lean on the person next to you fully for support. Because we all know it. We think way more than we say. <laughs> and even with our relationships that we're the most transparent with, we still withhold a lot. Yeah. Right? And, and one of the challenges today is for us to understand that, that so much of the battle goes on within. And by that very nature, it creates a lot of difficulties. Right? <laughs> John Owen, who's a famous dead guy, who's a Puritan preacher, uh, you know, he, he talks about uh, the, the importance of us recognizing that, that our enemy is not uh, merely upon us, but it is within us. It's not merely an external. It's not the, it's not the wicked world out there is not really the, the enemy we should be greatly concerned about. It's not the wicked world around you. It's not your crazy family that, that's a problem. It's not your weird friends. The, the real battle is actually, it is sin within you. Right? That's the problem. And that's where we need to learn uh, to battle. And so often we can become, uh, you know, apathetic or unaware of really what's going on within us. Right? Uh, and Paul here, I think, drives at two things, two principles, two key uh, uh, aspects to consider if we're going to win the battle. Amen? Uh, and that's we need to take stock of what our mind is set on, what is our paradigm, what's our worldview, uh, and then ultimately what is controlling us. Amen? Amen? You guys with me? Long introduction, quicker points, I promise. If iPad communicate, there you go. All right, mindset, right? And, and, and you think about, you know, Obviously here, the, the first verse that, that, that we read of the section we're focusing on, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You know, in two times, their mind set, right? What are you setting your mind on? And Paul is not here talking merely about like what your mind is preoccupied with, okay? Uh, he, he's talking more about how you, how you see the world, how you filter what, 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 what comes in. You know, the Jews viewed your ears and your eyes as the windows into your soul, and, and all that information comes in, and, and, and what does your brain do with it? Interpret it, right? Because we all know this, right? Two people can go through the same scenario and come to two different conclusions, right? Because, because mindset, paradigm, determines that, right? John Milton, Paradise Lost, talks about that, right? The mind is, is a place in and of itself, right? It can make uh, a hell out of heaven, or it can make a heaven out of hell. Right? Our, our minds have that ability, right? Uh, and, 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 and Paul gets this, and Paul is driving at this idea that we need to understand that, that, that where our thoughts are, where our filters are, where, where our processes take us, that has profound effect. Right? Now, Paul's not the only one who thought this, right? Uh, uh, Stefan and Karen earlier, you know, they read Colossians 3, which is the same, same concept. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, Right? Uh, but even Ralph Waldo Emerson, you are what you think all day long, right? Or even Buddha, what you think you become, okay? Uh, 
you go into any bookstore, there's a ever-growing section of self-help books. And, and most of them will, will talk in-depthly about this. You uh, Google the importance of, of your thoughts uh, and, and put psychology in there, and you're going to get a massive amount of resources talking about this, right? Even the secular world devoid of, 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 of spiritual thought understands that, man, our thoughts, our minds have profound, can have profound effect on our lives, right? They can have profound uh, uh, effect on us, you know? Uh, you know, and, and uh, that's an important thing to think about. Now, I do think it's a more and more challenging thing for us to think about. Uh, I think I have the quote on here by this guy, William, William Temple. He says, your religion is what you do with your solitude. And what he means by that is, is, is really what is of deepest importance to you is revealed in solitude. When you have no one else around you and nothing else around you, where do your thoughts go to? What occupies your mind? What is your brain? What are your thoughts? What do they turn to and what do they run to? Now this is incredibly, you know, becoming more and more difficult to us because we are the age of screens, right? I think it's, it's something on the internet called the elevator, uh, the elevator factor or something like that, right? No one knows what to do in, historically no one knew what to do in an elevator. You know what I mean? Do you talk to people? I mean, it's, it's five seconds, it's not really that long. Do you look at each other? I mean, it's, kind of funny things. We all look the same way. And people have messed with that, right? I don't know if you've ever gotten an elevator and someone gets in and faces the other direction. <laughs> people don't know what to do, right? Because we, we don't know what to do a lot of times we're isolated. We're becoming more that way. Uh, and, and, and it becomes more difficult for us to gauge our mindsets because we, we in some sense, because of technology now, uh, are never alone, never have solitude. People are in solitude and what do they do? phone. You ever walk around, you know, public places without your phone and just look at everyone else? And what is everyone doing? They're looking down. They're on their phone. We are rarely left nowadays to our own thoughts. That's not necessarily a good thing. If you read any his historical Christian book on spiritual disciplines, one of the disciplines they put in there time and time again is that of solitude. And some of these guys in the, in the, in the 4th, 5th, and 6th century, uh, the monks during that period, uh, went to extremes them. Someone would live on top of poles for years at a time in solitude, only having someone bring them food occasionally. Right? That's an extreme example. Okay? Don't, don't go do that. Though you do have some desert nearby. You could do that if you wanted, right? But don't do that. But, but, but man, when was the last time you really actually just were alone? In silence and considered your thoughts. Because where your thoughts go to in that moment, it's important. And it tells you a lot about yourself. But a lot of times we're, we're a society that has less and less grasp of self-awareness, a mindfulness of our own thoughts. We react, we're impulsive, we're not, we're not, we're not slow, we're instant society. But, but a lot of times we are, we are, we are <laughs> devolving in a sense to become just purely instinct-driven rather than rational higher thought. And, and, and 
you know, even a lot of people look at what, what God does in creation there in the beginning in Genesis with, with he creates all the animals, uh, he parades them before Adam and no suitable helper is found for him because Adam is different because no other animal had the life, the breath, the spirit of God breathed into him. And a lot of people think that that's rational thought, reason. The ability to, to self-examine. The ability to contemplate and weigh your, ju- your, your judgments and your actions and your thoughts. You know, my dog, he doesn't do that. Huh? I don't know, maybe your dog does, maybe he's advanced. I've seen a lot, of, some of you have cats. I don't, know, I don't know if cats do that. But, but we have the ability to do that, right? But we have to do that. You know, there's a variety of ways you can do this. You know, one of the, one of the things I read years and years ago, 10 years ago, uh, I can't remember what book it was from, you know, but the writer said, look, it would do a lot of us good to learn to take captive our thoughts and to, to take note of our thoughts, uh, set an alarm every day on the same, uh, every hour at the same time uh, for an entire 12-hour period. And, and, and when that alarm goes off, write down what you're thinking about. And at the end of the day, look at, okay, here's what, here's what you know, if I take a random selection of each hour throughout the day, here's where my mind is at. And maybe some of us honestly need to just go out into the bush or go to the beach and just sit in silence. And consider, what, 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 what floods my mind? Where are my thoughts? Because what's going on inside there, even Buddha understands is important. And Paul here is very clear that, look, hey, what your mind ends up set on has eternal effect. Profound effect on what happens in your life. And I think most of us are in danger of never taking stock. And so in the words of C.S. Lewis, we become unconscious victims rather than conscious participants. We become unconscious victims to the battle that's waging within us, and we're pretty much clueless to it. We're like people who go to bed with a fire, you know, uh, with burning coals underneath their house, and then we're surprised when the house is on fire. When we don't realize it was there all along, we just never took notice. And I think one of the the things Paul is right here in the beginning of this chapter is trying to get us to do is to actually have some introspection time and to to, to think about where, where, where are our thoughts. Now, like I said, the secular world figures this out to a degree. But there's a vast difference, right? And that's the next slide, right? Uh, you know, the, 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 what controls your mind? Here in verses 6 to 8, he says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And this is where Paul is going to divert pretty, pretty abruptly and sharply away from Buddha and Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, your secular psychologist or counselor, uh, in any self-help book you're going to read. Because a lot of times they're going to, you know, the self-help and even Buddhism would tell you uh, that within you lies the power, within yourself lies the ability to, to alter thoughts and then to live differently. All right? Paul is saying, within you does lie the ability and the power, if you're a Christian. But it is not in and of yourself, it is in the spirit. And your mind needs to be governed by it. Governed by it, controlled by it. The NIV translates it various ways, you know, uh, governed, and then it'll talk a lot about you're not in the realm of the flesh. It's this idea of who has control. Who has the ability to, to, to filter to correct, to challenge whatever comes across 
your mind? You know, is it your flesh? Is it your sinful nature? That enemy that has been defeated but yet still rages, you know, kind of like a guerrilla warfare against you? Or is it the spirit which was given to you when you were baptized? Who governs it? Who has control? Even Bob Dylan says, look, you, you got to serve uh, one of two masters. I don't know who Bob Dylan was talking about, are those two masters, right? But he did understand everyone serves someone. And Paul is saying, look, if, you, if you've been born again, you have two options. If you haven't been born again, you don't actually have two options. It's sinful nature, and it's going to control you and enslave you. And, and you can rail against it all you want, but you yourself are not powerful enough to overcome that. That's why you need Jesus. It's the whole Romans 1 to, 1 to 7 has covered that idea. Right? But you've you got to think, who, who has control? The object is important of what we set our mind on, and it must be the Spirit. But if we don't do the first point, if we don't take stock of what's going on in our minds, we don't even know if that is what, what our minds are set on. And my guess is if we're not taking stock of it, then for sure we're not dictating and controlling it towards that of the Spirit. That's why Paul will sell, say elsewhere, like uh, in Philippians, of like, you know, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, think about these things. You've got to control it, and you've got to steer it towards the Spirit. I like the, the NET translation says those who live... According to the Spirit, their outlook is shaped by the things, the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You know, the outlook, the paradigm of life is shaped and influenced by the Spirit. You know, and this has a lot of similarity to 2 Corinthians 10, where, where Paul talks about that we demolish every argument or pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We do that. Uh, one, if we're aware of what that thought is, but two, if that's who we've decided is in control, who governs. We've decided, hey, the Spirit is in control. The way of God is the way of God, not my thoughts. I mean, it sounds, you know, again, I don't, you meet some people that, that think this way, and if you think this way, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to mock you, right? But, you know, there, there's, a, there's an element of society now that talks about, like, that, or, or looks at this idea that, that authentic, authenticity is like the chief virtue, right? That, that whatever I do is okay as long as I'm being authentic to myself. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you and I don't hang out with the same people, right? But that's a dangerous thought. I don't know about you. Every authentic thought I have is not good. Every authentic urge I have is not correct. And, and that's putting a lot of faith and a lot of stock in Sam. Right? A, a big part of following Jesus is self-denial. It's saying no to self-impulse. And, and even learning, I think, that, you, know, once, you know, I think one of the big things we should be learning in, in years, you know, like three to six as a Christian is, is really a deep awareness of self. Sam's sinful nature. I should know who that person is. You know, you know Paul, in Paul's writing, like I said, he uses flesh, sinful nature. Uh, I can't remember what translation it is, but one, one translation, it's kind of funny, calls it the old man. <laughs> right? But in Paul's mind, there is a, a picture of the old Paul. And he's keenly aware of who the old, old Paul was and the ways and the thinking of that old Paul. And he knows, hey, I'm living a new, a new life now, though. No longer controlled by that old man. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, and I think we've we, we got we to have self-awareness of who that is. And, and part of being a disciple is waking up every day and making a decision, hey, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not controlled by that old person anymore. 
That the old Sam was, man, it was, he was narcissistic and egocentric and pleasure-oriented and all about self. The new Sam needs to be a different Sam. He needs to live his life to serve others. He needs to pour his life out like a drink offering, not use others for self. But those, that, that battle is daily. Who's in charge? Who governs it? When those thoughts come across your mind, man, what standard are they held to? Got to think about it. And I think Paul's point that he's driving at is, is the, more, the more we choose to, to uh, live in harmony with the Spirit. You know, and this chapter is very similar to Galatians 5 even, which is a great chapter on, the, on this inner conflict. In Galatians 5, the entire section in that chapter is framed... By, by a command to keep in step with the Spirit and walk with the Spirit, which are, which are relational metaphors in biblical thought. The image of God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day is, is a picture of friendship, of companionship, right? Uh, for those who are Frozen fans, the movies, Frozen, I don't know, I haven't seen Frozen 2, so don't spoil it for me, right? But Frozen 1, they, they, they sing a song about finishing each other's sandwiches, Right, uh, you know, and it's that that principle of a relationship that's really close, man. You 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 know what the other person is thinking, and you can finish the second half of their of their sentence, not sandwich, right? Uh, you know, for those who haven't seen the movie, maybe thought, what's wrong with Sam, right? But but that's kind of a thing, right? If you're if you're married, you understand this. Over time, walking with someone in life, having you know. Uh, talking about life, filtering life together, your, 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 your perspectives become one and the same in some sense. Right? I and mean, sometimes single brothers come to me and they ask me what Michelle thinks about stuff. Right? Sometimes I'm off because we've only been married like 15 years. Hopefully by the time, maybe 30 years, then maybe I'll get it right all the time. Right? But it's this idea that the longer you're with uh, someone in life and in a relationship, uh, their thoughts and your thoughts become much the same. And I think Paul is saying, look, it should be like that with us in, in, in the Spirit. We should be a people so in tune with the Spirit uh, in, in, in the vocabulary, in the ways, and the principles of God that the Spirit uh, you know, pours into our hearts and our minds that, 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 that we're in harmony together. But I think most of us probably give very little thought day in and day out to the Spirit. Most of us probably go entire days and don't even think about the Spirit. Most of us react to situations or people with little thought to, to what would the Spirit think here? Where would the Holy Spirit guide me? And, and, and if that, that thought maybe resonates with you, a great book you can read is by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. And it talks about how that, the, the Holy Spirit often in many, many churches and in many, many Christians' lives is often treated as kind of like, you know, uh, the outcast of the Trinity or something. Right? We, man, we worship the Father, we, we love the Son, but little thought to the Spirit. And John's Gospel pushes against that. You think about John 16, Jesus telling the disciples, hey, look, you know, I know you're bummed I'm leaving, but it is better for you that I go. Because unless I go, the advocate won't come. I mean, you are, he's telling them, you guys are better off having the Spirit than having Jesus. 
do we operate that way day in and day out? I mean, do we really think, man, I'm, I'm better off this way? Or, gosh, it'd be really nice if Jesus was here. I'm out of money. I can't get any McDonald's. He could for sure produce some, you know. But, but man, we don't. We don't even think about the Spirit a lot of times. You know, and we got to think. Look, not giving thought to this, not considering who's in control is a dangerous, dangerous thing. You know, there, Barclay, who wrote a commentary a long, long time ago on the Bible, who says, you know, to allow the things of the world to completely dominate life as a Christian, that's context, is self-extinction, it's spiritual suicide. That is dangerous. And Paul, is, 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 his language communicates that it's dangerous, right? I mean, the, the mind governed by the flesh, verse 6, is death. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Meaning, you, you want to try to live your Christian life with little to no thought of the Spirit? Paul says, you, you cannot, in and of yourself, do it. You don't have the power, and you don't have the ability. And the fact that, 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 that there is part of you, the old man, that's hostile to it and will not submit because it's a stubborn old ox, you know, man, you're going to lose that battle. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And he's telling us here in this chapter over and over and over that, man, you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, you know. And, and, and you think about, man, who is driving your mind? Who has the steering wheel? I mean, you know this in your house, right? Who has the remote control? They have the power. Right? They have the power. The wife, right? Then you pull out your smartphone. You use your smartphone to control it. And the battle fights on, right? You know, but, but man, really, who, who calls the shots of what thoughts are good thoughts to hold on to and entertain? And what thoughts need to be taken captive and put in jail and not let out ever because they are contrary to the ways of God? Yeah. Who has that authority in your life? And you think about what follows here, and you may think, what in the world is that picture? Uh, it's a white train. Um, and, and it's looking at the equipment on the top of the train, right? The pantograph and the cannonary. Cantonary? Someone's an expert on trains, you can correct me, right? You know, but if you didn't know, you know, in, in Perth and in, in most Australian cities, the, the trains are all run on electricity. Who pays that electricity bill? I don't know. It's a big question, though. It's a lot of electricity, right? Uh, you know, in Melbourne, I'm not sure you get it in, in Perth as much, but in Melbourne, there's a lot of stupid people who train surf, right? And they get up close to these wires. And the wires that, that run, you know, above the trains, you guys know how many volts are in there? Right? Tw 25 kilovolts, which is 25,000 volts, right? So if you mess with one of the electric sockets, that's 230, okay? You'd be in trouble, right? 25,000? A lot of trouble, right? There's power in those things, right? And, and this thing that's on top of the train, make sure that the train always stays connected to it, right? Has to be continuously touching it, even as it travels over, you know, uh, ground that's not purely flat, uh, that has curves, goes ups and down hills, because the train does not run if it is not connected to the power. That is your life as a Christian. The power is the spirit, and if you do not maintain complete contact, you, you, you will stop. You will not go forward. You will not move forward as a Christian. And you may think you can, and, 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 and your feeble attempts at self-help, honestly, will only restrain the outer. They'll never deal with the inner. Yeah. 
They won't deal with the motives behind the actions, which is where judgment begins. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to be connected. Because you think about how this chapter ends, or this section ends that we read, right? There in verses 9 to 11. You know, let's read it again as we close out here. He says, you, you however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also live uh, give life to your mortal body because of his spirit who lives in you. And it's an interesting because Paul uses uh, ifs. So he makes a lot of pretty major statements, but they're all conditional. Okay? And, and that can maybe make you scared. <laughs> uh, is there, you know, conditional kind of thing? Uh, oh, uh, well, okay, well, <laughs> what do I do, right? And, and, and uh, some translations, they even try to change it, change it to since. But the evidence is more in the direction of if, hence the reason why it remains if and conditional. Uh, and some people think, you know, Paul knows that there are non-Christians that will be hearing uh, the church read and dissect Romans uh, as a letter. And so he, he, he's putting a bit in there uh, to, in some, in some sense, uh, help them to understand that, that this pursuit of a changed life, you cannot do it without the Spirit. That, that if the Spirit in God lives in you, right, then even though you're going to die, because you're mortal, you're going to live. And you think about even the last if. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. I mean, he's saying, he's saying, you know, think about the resurrection. Think about the power that resurrected Jesus. That power is available to you. Now the ifs, and some Pentecostal charismatic churches have, have gotten this wrong over the years, the if doesn't mean that there has to be a second blessing sought, okay? Doesn't mean that there's uh, a, a post-conversion uh, 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 pouring out of the Spirit into your life that's going to happen, uh, because Paul is very clear that, that if the Spirit's not in you, you're not a Christian. So there's no room for that thought process, this is one of the main passages in the New Testament that pushes back against that, right? There's no other passage in the New Testament where you get a clear indication that the Spirit enters a life at the moment of conversion, other than maybe 1 Corinthians 12, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and so Paul, in some sense, he's making it conditional, but he's also telling you that, look, there's, this power is there. That if you've been buried with Christ and raised with him, if you've been born again, that power that raised Christ from the dead is there. But you've got to use it. Right? And that's like 2 Peter, right? 2 Peter chapter 1 says, man, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us everything we need. You may think, man, I would do better spiritually, or my marriage would be better, or my relationship with my kids would be better, or I'd be more fruitful reaching out to people, uh, or I'd have better friendships in general uh, if I had, insert your solution. The Bible says, no, you, you have everything. 
And a lot of times we get caught in this failed thinking of thinking, hey, you know, man, this, this cyclical sin that I'm kind of getting enslaved in again, man, it, you know, I'd be able to overcome it if I had, or if I moved, or if so-and-so moved, <laughs> right? None of us think that, no. All of us think that, right? Man, get rid of Sam. Things will be better, right? Which Sam? There's lots of us, okay? You might, <laughs> might not be me you're thinking about, right? But we can think that way. We can think, man, things will change if the circumstances change or if the environment changes. No. Romans 8, Paul's saying, look, you have the Spirit, and that Spirit is enough. Because it gave life to Jesus, it's going to give life to you. Right? But this battle is going on within. And no one else can really fight it for you. And you can go through, through life mindlessly, with your neck bent down, looking at your screens, never giving thought to what's really going on in your head or your heart. You can do that. You will be an unconscious victim, though. Because Satan, he's not, he's not to be messed with. I mean, really, he's got like a 100% success rate in terms of deceiving and enslaving. And then we've got to think about, man, what's going on inside my head? When we, when we uh, have the temptation to react in situation, man, we've got to stop and think, why, why am I so upset here? Why am I thinking this way? Why am I filtering this event as like this is what's happening? Because God tells me to look at it this way. Man, my old self wants this. But man, this is how God says I should live. Who, who am I going to submit to? Who has control? And only the Spirit can empower you to live this way. Only the Spirit can enable you to have the strength to resist the old man to live a new life. But man, we have to be a people who think about what we're thinking about and who give the Spirit control over our thoughts. And then as those thoughts become more and more confirmed to the, conformed to the likeness of Christ, man, we change. We become a new people. You know, J.C. JC Ryle, a famous preacher, he says that the holiness really is, think, is learning to think like God thinks. Hating what he hates, lo loving what he loves. But having that harmony of thought with God, that is holiness, and that's the pursuit that the Spirit takes us on. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand together and sing one final song. Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you. We, we thank you for, for, you know, you obviously going to the cross to, to open up the way for, for your spirit to be poured into our hearts and our minds, God. Father, we, we, we want to be a people that, that walk with the spirit, that keep in step with the spirit. We want to be a people that, that by you know, the, the spirit put to death our, our, our old selves. And God, we pray you help us, God. Help us this week especially to be mindful of our minds to stop at times, to, to sit or stand in silence and solitude and, and, and you know, take, take stock of what's going on inside us, God. We pray you help us, God. Help us to be a, a mindful, a self-aware people, to not, not blindly assume everything's going to be all right, but, but really understand that the battle, you know, does, it does wage within us, God. And we pray that as we you know, choose to, to open our eyes to that inner reality, that inner conflict, you know, the dichotomy that does exist within each one of us, God, that, that we, you know, can be a people that, that, that bend our control, that, that give sovereignty, uh, that allow the Spirit to govern us, God, to control us. 
to dictate what we think, how we feel, how we react, how we speak, how we, how we spend our lives, our money, our energy, our time. God, help us to be a people that, 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 that really weigh the, 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 the thousands of choices we face to Scripture time and time again, God. And we pray, God, that with time as we walk with your Spirit, God, that it does become second nature, that there does become this, this harmony of, of our soul and your Spirit, God, uh, living in harmony, God, as we, as, we, as we work together towards a common goal, Father. And we thank you that you are incredibly patient and tolerant of our slowness and stupidity, that you show us way more grace and mercy and forgiveness than we could ever possibly deserve, God. And we pray that that uh, grace and mercy continually compels us to live our lives for you, God. Again, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all in Christ's name. Amen.